Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. Uh, Haggai chapter 1 in your Bible. Of course, I should have told you that 10 minutes ago. Here's a good way to find it, right? Here's an excellent way to find it. It's right between the books of Zephaniah and Zechariah. Doesn't that help you? They say, it's right after Zephaniah. Okay, good. Thank you. Uh, but the little book of Haggai, it's only, it's only uh, two chapters long. What's interesting about the book of Haggai, it's, it's actually just four sermons. That's the way it is. I'm only going to preach one of them, so don't worry. But uh, in the book of Haggai, has a time stamp on it. Isn't that interesting? So God tells us exactly when the sermon was preached. The, the exact day. And you can extrapolate it back and know the exact date on which that's... For instance, the message I'm going to preach tonight was first preached on August 29th, 520 B.C. That's an old message, right? August 29th, 520 B.C., this message was preached. So why would God timestamp a message? Here's why. When God timestamps a message, what he says is, okay, from now on, you're responsible for it. From now on, you're responsible for it. So, okay, so today, what's today's date? 20 what? 27th, okay. August 27th, it's 2020, right? Okay, August 27th, 2020. When you're my age, you just, you're happy when you get the year right, okay? August 27th, 2020, okay, so this message is time-stamped. You know what that means? That means all of us, even you watching on live stream, all of us are now responsible for what we're going to hear tonight. So that's an accountability thing. So look at it. Haggai chapter 1. I've been stalling so you can get there. Haggai chapter 1. And look at verse 1. Where the Bible says, in the second year, do you see that in verse 1? In the second year of Darius, or Darius, the king, he's the king of Persia. Okay, what's Persia? Iran. So Iran is running the world. Okay, in 520 BC. They're running the world. So, uh, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, there's the time stamp, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet. Okay, who is Haggai? Don't know a whole lot about him? Here's what we know. He was old. We know that. He was an old man. Okay, talk to me. Haggai was what? He was a what? An old man. Okay. Now, what's interesting is Haggai had another preacher who was preaching at the exact same time, almost the same message. Different words, but the same theme, okay? His name was Zechariah, okay? He was a young man. So Haggai was a what? And Zechariah was a what? And yet they were preaching the same message. That's so important. It's so important that that one generation passes that baton to another generation so that what grandpa is saying is the same thing that grandson is saying. And so they're preaching this message to God's people. Now, what's the message? Well, God gives him the message. Look look at it in verse 1. Came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, unto Zerubbabel, he's the governor, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, uh, the son of Josedek, the high priest. In other words, this message is going to cross uh, uh, the, the political lines. This message is going to cross religious lines. This message is for everybody. Look at verse 2. Thus speaketh the Lord, or thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, now watch it, verse 2, this people say, the time is not come, 
the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time? Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? Sealed houses just meant fancy paneled houses, nice, nicely built, luxurious houses. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house, what, what, is, what is God saying? This house, this house, the, his house, the, God's house, right, the temple. So, okay, you're dwelling in your sealed houses, but my house, this house, is lying waste. In other words, you've taken time to finish your houses insofar that you've even paneled them, which would be the last thing you would do to decorate your house. Boy, you've finished your house right up to the trim work, okay? But my house is still lying waste. It's not even constructed yet. Look look at verse 4. Is it, or verse 5, rather. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord uh, of hosts, consider your ways. Uh, you have sown much, you bring in little. You eat, you have not enough. You drink, you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, there's none warm. He that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag of holes. Ever feel that way? You're working hard, you're making money, and it feels like, where did all that money go? My mother used to tell me when I was a kid, you know, you got holes in your pocket, she'd say to me. Because when I, when I got money from Grandma, you know, at birthday time, or I got money from Aunt Edna at Christmas, you know, that money would go away quickly. I, I just didn't know how to save money. And the Bible says, here are people that are eating, but they're not full. They're drinking, but they're not satisfied. Uh, they're saving money, but it doesn't seem to ever be there. It's like they're putting it in a bag full of holes. Look at verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Think about it. Think about that. Verse uh, 8, last verse I'll read. Go up to the mountain, bring wood, build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Father, we need your help on this message. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the, the good people of Moses Lake Baptist. I thank you, Lord, for their faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, for what's happening here. Even the exciting launching of a brand new church. How exciting. But Lord, we need your help tonight. It's just us. So Father, I pray that you would use this text of Scripture. I pray that you would use this message to do a work on the inside of each one of us. Lord, I pray that we would leave this room tonight with a renewed focus on what we need to do with with our lives for whoever. Whether Whether it be a young person here tonight, or whoever, I pray that you would do a work in our lives tonight that only you can do. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to answer five questions tonight in this text. Five questions. Because what's happening in Haggai chapter 1 is God is leading an old man, Haggai, and a young man, Zechariah, to preach in stereo a message to God's people. Now, what's the message? The message basically is this. Guys, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Okay, you're sitting around. Oh, you're working on your own stuff, but you're not spending time on my stuff. What's going on? So I want to answer five questions. Here are the questions. First of all, number one, who are these people? To whom is God speaking? Who are these people? This, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty point blank message. Who, who's God talking to? Okay, uh, number two, you, what, what is their problem? What, what has caused them to to stop building the house of God. 
What, 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 what's caused them? And, and then number three, why, why have they stopped building the house of God for so long? Because what we're going to find out is that for 16 years, for 16 years, they've just been sitting on their hands. For 16 years, I mean, 16 years ago, they were building God's house. 16 years ago, they got a great start. But for 16 years now, they've not been doing what they're supposed to do. So who are these people? What made them stop serving God? What got them distracted? And then why, why so long? And then here's the fourth question, ready? How did God get their attention? Okay, how does God get any one of our attention? How did God alarm clock their life? How did God wake them up? Okay, and then finally, uh, uh, what did they do about it? Okay, when the alarm clock went off, what did they do? Did they hit snooze? So you get nine more minutes? I'm so grateful for the snooze button myself, okay? But when God alarm clocks us, we better not hit the snooze button. Okay, so how did they respond to the alarm clock that God gave them in Haggai chapter number one? Okay, so those five questions. Okay, question number one, who? Who are these people? Okay, for, to understand who these people are, you have to understand a little bit about why they're there. So why are they in Jerusalem? They're in Jerusalem. Where are they? They're in where? Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, they're there to rebuild a temple. That's the purpose for which they've come. Because before they were in Jerusalem, they were back here in the land of captivity. Remember, God had chastised his people, and for 70 years they were in Babylon, but God had promised them through Isaiah the prophet, and God had promised them through Jeremiah the prophet that he would send them back one day. Matter of fact, God even named the name of the king that wasn't even born yet, Cyrus, that would issue a decree for them to go back and rebuild the temple. So what happened? Back in 539 B.C., uh, God issued a decree through Cyrus 538 right in there. He issued a decree. Hey, you can go back now. You can go back now and rebuild the temple. So in 536, they did. They went back to rebuild the temple. But not all of them went. Only 50,000. Now, wait a minute. God had told all of them. Jeremiah chapter 29, book of Isaiah. He had told all of them, when the day comes that I give you a second chance and you can leave Babylon and you can go back to the land of promise, God wants everyone to get involved in his work. Amen. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. I don't care when you got saved. I don't care what your background is. If you name the name of Jesus Christ, God wants you to be involved in his work in some way, shape, or form. So God offered that opportunity to everybody, but guess what? Only a small number of people went. Only 50,000. You say, 50,000? That's a lot of people. Yeah, but there are probably 2 million people in captivity. 50,000, that's a small, small number, small percentage. But 50,000 went back. It was a tough journey. It was a tough journey. Hundreds of miles. When they got back, all they found was rubble. When they got back, all they found were enemies round about that were giving them, harassing them, giving them trouble. Okay, so who went back? Good people. The good people went back. Who went back? The passionate people went back. Who went back? The faithful people went back. Who went back? The pilgrims went back. Who went back? The pioneers went back. The ones that were willing to roll up their sleeves and do a work for God. Hey, these are good people. Who are the people in Haggai chapter 1? The people in Haggai chapter 1, they're not the ones that, that stayed in Babylon. 
The devil doesn't care. The devil doesn't bother people that, that don't serve God. No, he, they're right where he wants them to be. No, they, they're never even mentioned. They're over here in their nice houses. They're over here in their Babylonian culture. They're doing all the things that they want to do. Hey, the people to whom God's speaking in Haggai chapter 1 are the people that are good people that went back. But not only did they go back. The Bible tells us in Ezra chapter 2 and Ezra chapter 3 that what they did when they went back is the very first thing they did is rebuild the altar of God. The very first thing they did before they built houses, before they uh, took care of themselves, the very first thing they did is rebuild the altar of God. Why? Because the most important thing about the temple is communicating with God. So the first thing they did was make sure our communication with God is right. You know the very first thing you ought to do when you go back to God? Because we all get away from God. The very first thing to do is restore your communication with God. That's what they did. They made that their priority. We want to make sure that our communication with God is restored. That he's speaking to us. We're speaking to him. The word of God, prayer. We want to get that thing right. And they did. And they did. But not only did they rebuild the altar, the Bible says they set the foundation of the temple. That's one of the reasons I want you to go to Israel, okay? Because Pastor Dennis will tell you, the foundation of the temple, are you kidding me? It's huge. Remember those stones on the Western Wall tour? They're, they're ton, it's, a, it's a modern marvel that people without the equipment that we have were able to move those stones. Hey, it's hard work. You know what foundation work is? It's hard work. You know what foundation work is? It's necessary work. You know what foundation work is? It's work that you don't see. It's the foundation. The ground goes on top of it. You never see those stones unless you dig down or walk through a tunnel. So who are these people in Haggai chapter 1? They're good people. Uh, They're good people that that have restored their communication with God. Hey, they're good people that have done the the below-the-surface foundational work. It's all good. For two years, these people are on fire for God doing all the right things, having all the right priorities, then everything came to a screeching halt. Everything stopped. Now, now, what stopped them? That's question number two. At number one, who are these people? They're good people. They're the people that came. They're the people that trusted God. They're the people that built the altar. They're the people that uh, laid the foundation. They're good, passionate, faithful people. And man, they were at it for two years. What stopped them? Okay, two things stopped them. This is going to knock your socks off, ready? This is going to knock your socks off. You know what stopped them? Number one, government intervention. Is that not amazing? So the, the local people didn't like the fact that the people had come back to rebuild the temple, so they just made up some lies. They had an agenda, the Samaritans. And here's what they did. They wrote a letter back to the king uh, in, in Iran and Persia and said, hey, king, we want to just let you know this, that those people that you sent back to rebuild that temple, well, they're doing more than that. They're kind of building their whole city, and it looks like they're building fortifications. And here's what they're really going to do. What they're really going to do, king, is they're going to build up the city in such a way that they can defend themselves, and then they're going to stop paying taxes. So we're just telling you, king, we just thought as good citizens, you might want to know that they are rebellious people. You better get on this or you're going to lose a lot of money. That was all a big lie. There was not one ounce of truth to it. But guess what? The king over here, he doesn't know. 
He's just sitting in his hanging gardens of Babylon eating some grapes. And he reads the letter and says, ho, ho, ho. I got, I got a, somebody to pay for these grapes, right? So he sends a letter and says, cease and desist. He sends a letter and said, close that church down and wear masks. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And what do all the people do? Like sheep, they're like, well, I guess if the government says we're not allowed to serve God, I guess we can't serve God. And they allowed government intervention to change their course. But you know what? Not only was there government intervention, there were local bullies. There was not just a letter that came from, from Babylon, from Persia, not just a letter, but, but now they're local bullies. The, the, the Samaritans and, and the, 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 some of the, 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 the uh, tribes of Philistia and then Edom and Moab and Ammon and all the people in the area, guess what they did? They ganged up. They'd, they'd stand by the roadsides. They'd bully people. Hey, you can't go on this job site. This job site's over. You can't. They're bullying them. You know, sometimes what makes us stop serving God is not what the government says in the White House or in, in, uh, in Olympia. Is that the capital? Of, I'm just proud of myself for yanking that one out of that. That was fourth grade right there, okay? But uh, um, I'm just telling you, sometimes it's not what comes out of Olympia or comes out of uh, Washington, D.C. Sometimes what stops us is the coworker, the neighbor, the family member that bullies us, and we feel like, well, maybe I need to tone down. That's what was happening to those people. Hey, these are good people. These are pioneering people. These are pilgrim people. These are faithful people. These are the people that came to serve God when other people would not, and yet they stopped. They stopped. Government intervention, local bullies, they stopped. But why so long? He said, okay, so Pastor Skelly, uh, I can see how, how good people can get intimidated, and that happens to all of us. Let's face it, it happens to all of us. We're, we're no better than they. It happens to all of us. But, but why so long? Because the Bible teaches here that this, the message occurred in 520. Well, if they came back in 536 and it took them two years to build uh, the temple, and lay the, the altar, and lay the foundation, and uh, now it's been 14 years since they did one blessed thing, and Haggai uh, speaks up and Zechariah speaks up in 520. Why have they stopped for so long? How does a person just say, I quit on God for 14 years? It takes them 14 years to come back to God. How, how does that happen? I think that happens for two reasons in our text. Okay? Number one, I think the first reason why they stopped so long is because they were hiding. Watch this. They were hiding behind noble intentions. Now watch what God said in verse 2. They were hiding behind noble intentions. Look at verse 2. Well, the Bible says, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, this people say. So God says, I know what your excuses are. I know what they're saying. Here's what the people are saying. They're saying, the time has not come. The, the, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Okay? Here's what the people were not saying. Watch this, guys. Here's what the people were not saying. They were not saying, you know what? God's house, it's worthless. Oh, they weren't saying that. They weren't saying, you know what, God's house, that's, a, that's, a, that, that's not an important project. They weren't saying that. No, they, 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 they love God's house. They, they love the idea of a, of a house that was built. 
Here's what they were saying. They were saying, you know what? The, the Lord's house, we laid that altar and we built that foundation. And one day, I'm going to tell you what, one day it's going to be a grand and beautiful temple, but just not today. But I'll tell you what, one day, I'm going to tell you what, we're going to finish that thing. One day, we're going to serve God again. I remember when we used to, but one day we're going to, just not today. Not tomorrow, but, but you know, when we get things done, one day, one day, one day, let me just say something. You can kick that can down the road the rest of your life. I can't tell you how many people I talk to that are, you know, one day, one day, one day I'm going to witness that neighbor. One day I'm going to start reading my Bible. One day I'm getting serious about that besetting sin in my life. One day, one day, one day. Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow. Okay? Go, what's your life? But you don't have tomorrow. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Hey, listen, the only day you have to serve God is today. What has God pressed upon your heart? Today's the day. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, we're procrastinators, and the reason why we procrastinate so long is because we lie to ourselves. And we tell ourselves, yeah, but one day, and that's what keeps us procrastinating, because we're going to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and then you die. You never do what you're gonna do. They hid behind noble intentions. But not only that. I think, secondly, why, why did they stop so long? They hid behind noble intentions. But I think the second thing is they were engaged in good projects. I mean, they weren't idol worshiping. I mean, they weren't worshiping Baal or Moloch, right? No, they, they weren't uh, in false religion. I mean, they're good church-going people. The altar's built. Presumably, they're having their, 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 their feasts and they're, they're doing their, their worship and they're, they're having church, so to speak, to put in today's vernacular. I mean, they're good people. They're just, uh, 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 and, and they're building their houses. I mean, what's wrong with having a house? Nothing. What's wrong with making my house nice? Nothing. But everything is wrong with anything if the anything takes precedence over the main thing. Right? And so what was happening here is good things, good things had become the enemy of the best thing. Boy, the devil's so subtle. We get this erroneous idea that what pulls us away from God are evil, wrong, sinful things, and how sad that person's on drugs, how sad that person's on alcohol, how sad that person... You know, the devil's a lot more subtle than that. He can get you away from the best things with good things. And keep you right in church and keep you right uh, in, in uh, believing the things that you've always believed, but you're just not doing the things you're supposed to do. Boy, they, they were engaged in good, but not the best projects. And for 14 years, for 14 years, they just weren't serving God. Oh, they acted as if they were. They maybe thought they were, but they weren't. Okay, who are they? Good people. They're good people. Well, what stopped them? Government intervention, local bullies. Yeah, but, but, but why so long? Because they're going to they're gonna do it, to maybe tomorrow. Maybe next week. You know, next year I think we could get that temple project restarted. 14 years, they kept on telling themselves that lie. And after all, we, we're working on our houses. Nothing wrong with working. I got a family to feed. I got, I got a ticket. And I got crops here. And boy, you know, my savings account's not doing that well. And I've made some investments. And I don't seem to have enough food. I'll tell you what. When everything is, is, is well in my life, and but my, my, my salary is where it needs to be, and, and I can take care of my family, then I'll serve God again. I'm going to. I'm going to. How did God, number four, 
How did God get their attention? How did God get their attention? This is the whole message. How did God get their attention? In three ways. How did God get their attention? In three ways. Here they are. Number one, he appealed to their consciousness. You say, what do you mean by that, Kurt? He appealed to their consciousness. Okay, here's what I mean by that. God had already told them, as he had told all of his people, numerous times. You can read the book of Deuteronomy especially. God said over and over again. Deuteronomy chapter 11 is a great example of this. God had said over and over again, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to forget about me. I know you. I know you're going to forget about me. And when you forget about me, here's what God said. Don't miss it. God said, when you forget about me, here's what I'm going to do to alarm clock your life. Okay? I'm going to put my finger on your economy. That's what I'm going to do. Because that's typically what gets us away from serving God. Us, our stuff, our pursuits. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my finger on it. Okay? And what I want you to do when I put my finger on it is I want you to know that's me. So that's what he's telling them in verse 6. In verse 6, he said, you've sown much, you bring in little. Think about it, he said. He said, think about this. You're, you're drinking, but you're not satisfied. You're eating, but you're not satisfied. You're saving money, but it's going nowhere. Think about it. Does that seem, a, does that seem somewhat reminiscent of some things I've told you? What's God doing? He's appealing to their consciousness. He's saying, guys, I've been, here's what God's saying. Guys, I've been knocking on your door for 14 years. I've been trying to get your attention for 14 years, but you know, you've not been listening. You've been sticking your finger in your ears. I've been knocking, but you've not been listening. See, why, why, was God, why would God do it that way? Okay, when my kids were still in the home, teenage boys, you know, we try to teach our, like you try to teach your boys. Well, when my, my kids were small, I taught them, hey, listen, mom should never be carrying something without you going to help her. Mom, if mom comes home from the, the grocery store and she comes in and she's got groceries, I don't want her to say, hey, boys, I need your help. I, no, we're not going to do that. Okay? You're going to see that she's coming home. If you see mom cares, then you're going to stop what you're doing. I don't care if you're playing a video game. I don't care if you're like going to break the record. Okay? You put your controller down, pause, and you're going to go help your mom. Okay? And that would tell my wife, now don't tell them to help you. We're not teaching them anything. If you come in and say, boys, I need your help. I say, I want you to, I, w- I want them to pick up on it. So my wife would do that. So she'd come home from grocery shopping. She'd walk in with some, you know how you do. You walk in with, with ladies typically will walk in with one bag. Guys, we, we look at it, it's like an Olympic event. We got to carry every bag in one, you know. So like our fingers are falling off because of plastic. You know, we got five, right? So my wife's coming in and she's like, Okay, I'm home. Boys are over here playing their game. Yep, I'm home from the grocery store. Just here at the grocery store. Just I'm home. Yeah, I'm just putting some stuff away. You know, she'd be giving them all the hints. Where are the boys? They're like. Choo, 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 choo. Finally, I'm over in the corner like, boys, help mom. Oh. But that's not the way I want them to obey. I don't want them to obey by me always having to hit them in the back of the head or call their attention. I want them to pick up on the clues. And God, for 14 years, has been giving them clues. 
because he wants them to come back to him volitionally because they want to. He's appealing to their consciousness, but they're not listening. But not only does he appeal to their consciousness, I think secondly, he appeals to their conscience because look at what it says in verse 2. He said, this people say, this people say, the time has not come, the time to build the Lord's, the Lord's house should be built. So Haggai preached this message, verse 4. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and my house lie waste? Okay, what, what is God doing? He's appealing to their conscience. You know what questions do? Questions appeal to the conscience. So God's not saying, hey, you low now, good for nothing, dirty, filthy, lazy, get back to work. That's not what God's saying. Here's what God's saying. God's saying, um, I'm hearing what you're saying, guys. You're saying you don't have time to serve me. Okay, so I have a question for you. How is it that you seem to have plenty of time for yourself? Because you're, you're saying you don't have time. You're, you're not serving me. You want to. You just don't have time. So I'm going to throw that question back at you, says God. And I'm going to say, how is it? Because I went to your house. It was a beautiful house. And everything seems to be in order. How is it that you seem to have plenty of time to do what you want to do with your stuff? But when it comes to serving me, it just seems like you don't have any time. It's like you have plenty of, it's like, it's, like, it's not a problem to go to Walmart, you know, but, but, but you know, it's too dangerous to go to church. It's a, so God asks us the questions. You know what questions do? Questions appeal to our conscience. So God is appealing to their consciousness. God is appealing to their conscience, but watch this, number three, God's appealing to their consideration. So do you see the repetition of the word in verse five, verse seven? Consider your ways. Now, what's interesting about that term, consider? Here's what it means, guys, ready for this? Consider, it literally means this. Don't miss it. It means put your heart on the road. Okay, what does that mean? Put your heart on the road. It sounds kind of gross. Someone's going to run over my heart, right? Put your heart on the road. Okay, what that means is wherever you are in life right now. Okay, so I'm 54. Okay, so I'm going to pull over at mile marker 54. I'm going to stop. That's what God's saying. Stop, consider. Lay your heart on the road. Take from, from, With all of who you are, your mind, your will, your emotion, your passion, stop. Okay? Look down the road. Pull over the side of your life. Look down your road. Is this the road you want to be on? So everyone do that right now. You're 17. You're 15. You're 63. Whatever your age is, okay? Pull over at your mile marker right now. Pull over. On the road of your life, pull over. And put your heart on the road and say, are you, are you happy with the road you're on? Is this the road you want to talk to Jesus about one day? Lord, I'm so glad I'm traveling this road. These priorities, what I'm doing, this is where I want to be. That's what God's saying. Lay your heart on the road. Hey, get real with the life that you're living. Get real with the path that you're walking. Uh, get real with the road on which you're traveling. So stop at the mile marker of your road and look in your rearview mirror and say, is this the road I want to be on? And then look forward. Don't just look in the rearview mirror. Look out the windshield and say, is this the road I want to travel? Is this the direction I want to go? Are the plans that I'm making today and the priorities I'm establishing today, is this the road I want to be on? Is this where I want to stand and talk to Jesus about this? That's what God's saying. He said, hey, stop and think about it. 
That's our problem. Our problem is we never stop, stop and think about our lives because we're telling ourselves all these lies. Like, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Yeah, but you're not on that road. You're, you're gonna, but that road was three exits back there and it's going east and you're heading west. Stop. God says, just stop. Just pull the car over. Stop. Boy, I'm making good time. Yeah, but you're making good time. I'm driving a nice car. Yeah, a nice car, good time, but you're heading the wrong direction. What good is that? I'd rather be on a Greyhound bus going the right direction than in a limousine going the wrong direction. So God says, stop and just consider your ways. Who are they? They're good people. They're Wednesday night people. They're Bible study people. Well, what stopped them? Government intervention? Local bullies? Yeah, but why so long? Yeah, but we're going to serve God. I'm going to get back. I'm going to give up that besetting sin. I'm going to. And I'm doing good things. But how did God get their attention? He's knocking on their door. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. You have time for everything but me? You have time for everything but me? Come on, guys. Stop for a moment. Stop. Think about it. Think about it. Number five and lastly. So what did they do about it? Well, the good news is this, Okay. You can read the rest of the chapter. The good news is they repented. The good news is, man, they got to work. The good news is that within a short period of time, they built that temple. It was an amazing thing. Within one month's time, they had mobilized all the workforce. I mean, great things happened. God was taking pleasure in it. God was being glorified. They were repenting. But I'm going to show you one verse that was so encouraging to me. And it's the last verse I read. Look at it. Haggai chapter 1. Look at verse 8. We're going to close right now. But look at Haggai chapter 1 and verse 8. What did they do about it? Look at verse 8. He said, go up to the mountain. Here's God's imperative. Go up to the mountain and bring wood. Build the house. I will take pleasure in it. I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Okay? So what did God tell them to do? Don't miss this. Don't miss this. God says, I want you to go to that mountain and get some wood. Now, I don't know about you, but, and I'm not a builder, trust me. You don't want me building your house because the house is going to come tumbling down. Okay, but what does going to the mountain and getting wood have to do with building the house? Very little. I mean, building a house has a whole lot more to do than just getting some raw material. First of all, the temple was built out of a whole lot more material than just wood. A lot of stonework. There was a lot of artisan work. There was a lot more to it than just go to a mountain and cut down a tree. So why did God say that? Because that was the next step. Because that was the first thing. In other words, God was saying, just get started. Just take the first step. Because some of you are saying, you know what? I need to get back to serving God. I have been distracted. I do love God, but man, his altar is not my priority. And it's been years since I've been all in. What do I do, Pastor Skelly? Just get started. Go get some wood. For you, go to getting some wood might be, I need to start being in the Bible every day. I've not been in the Bible for years, every day. Get hard about every week of my life, and I still haven't done it. Okay, get some wood. Start tomorrow. Get up 15 minutes earlier tomorrow. Start tomorrow. Maybe your thing is, 
I've not spent any substantive time with God in prayer. Oh, I pray here and there in the car, but not, you know, I'm talking about really praying. Secret time alone with God. I know I should. Hey, go get some wood. Maybe that's where you start. Maybe for some of you, it's that besetting sin in your life that you've struggled with for 15 years, 20 years. You struggle with that besetting sin. You've not, never dealt with it. You've never got accountability for it. Maybe it's starting there. I'm not, I'm not here to say what your wood is. I'm just here to say, get started. I'm here to say, building a house starts with starting. Go to the mountain and get some wood. Here's God's promise. I'll be happy. I'll take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, distracted. The road to hell is paved by distracted Christians. Now's time. We're going to talk to young people tomorrow for all day, encouraging them to serve God with their lives. What about us? What about us? Consider your ways. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.